0: It's primary day in New Hampshire without Ron DeSantis, and I believe that is going to help President Trump. I am predicting a blowout. My full analysis on the New Hampshire primary coming up. Imagine a Martian comes down to earth. Imagine somebody lives in a cave, falls asleep in a cave for 50 years, and then comes out, wakes up, and he sees some Democrats ranting a bit against Trump, talking about how much of a threat Trump is. Trump is this massive threat to democracy. And so the person who came out of the cave says, well, what did he do? What's so bad about Trump? Was the economy in terrible shape? And like, no, 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 the economy was booming under Trump. Well, was there a big border crisis? No, Trump actually, he solved the border crisis. All the illegals were staying in Mexico. Oh, well, okay, but Trump, he probably, this guy, Trump, this evil threat, he probably started a lot of wars, right? And no, well, actually he was the first president in 50 years to have zero wars begun under his watch. Well, but did he let Iran develop a nuclear weapon? No, no, he crushed Iran. Was he soft on terror? Oh, no, he eliminated ISIS and assassinated Qasem Soleimani. Oh, well, there, but there was probably a lot of crime. if he, He's this big a threat. I mean, there must have been rampant crime. No, crime was actually weighed down. Trump was very tough on crime. Oh, well, he was, must have been soft on China. Oh, no, toughest president we ever had about uh, on China. Well, did he collude with Russia? Well, no, actually, he was thoroughly investigated for two years by people who hated him, and he was completely exonerated, so clearly didn't collude with Russia. That was made up. Well, did he indict his political enemies like maybe Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Hunter Biden? No, he didn't indict any of them. All right. Did he let Putin invade Ukraine? No, he prevented Putin from invading Ukraine. Well, what's the problem with this guy Why is this guy Trump so bad? Oh, he's going to be a dictator. He's going to bring down the country. He's a massive threat. We've got to get him off the... In the name of democracy, we've got to knock him off the ballots. Or uh, he, he's, you know, it's like, well, what did he do wrong? What's, the, let's say he even became a dictator. From what you're describing, it sounds like he has a pretty good track record. Sounds like he was pretty good president after all. I, the most absurd part is like all the and and like that's you think logically, and it's like this man, his presidency was so extremely successful. We got to put COVID aside. COVID, anybody would have had a problem with COVID. And what is the panic? What is the threat here to democracy? The threat to democracy is the people who don't want somebody like Trump, who is so successful. the The, the most absurd part is that the Democrats and the panic and the frenzy and the and and the meltdown about how Trump's going to win and we see, wow, we can't stop him. We know his track record. The first time around, they said we don't know what this man is capable of doing he 's done it. He was President for four years, and he 's not an unknown commodity and he did, He was not a threat to democracy. he wasn 't a dictator. He left the white House when he went, when he lost, despite the fact that he believed that he won. So what is the threat? This man, you already know what you're going to get. And they say, well, this time is going to be different. This time is going to be really bad. Or you or you lost all credibility. You have, no, you have no credibility. You told us in 2016 that he was a big threat to democracy. And it turns out it didn't happen. Oh, but now this time. It's always this time is going to be different when it comes to Trump. And by the way, I'm like I'd almost prefer Trump the dictator – to another, as opposed to another four years of President Biden. All right, coming up, the New Hampshire primary, the Supreme Court has sided with the Biden administration, five to four. They say that the Biden people can cut down razor wire that was put up at the border by the state of Texas to block illegals from entering the country. So this is a disgraceful ruling. Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, sided with the liberals in this vote. So we'll get to that. Elon Musk and Ben Shapiro have taken a trip to Auschwitz. So we'll tell you about that, all that and much more. All right. So Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. This is exactly as we predicted what happened. And he dropped out now before the New Hampshire primary in order to avoid a huge embarrassment by all, in, in, by all accounts, that's what was gearing up. And everybody's asking, I can't tell you how many people in the mainstream media what did Ron DeSantis do wrong? What did, Where did the DeSantis campaign go wrong? Why couldn't he unseat Trump? He was supposed to be the next rock star of the Republican Party. He was supposed to be the next leader. And look, like I said, I predict another blowout in New Hampshire. I think that Trump is going to win by about 20 points. And before we get to DeSantis, and there's a big flaw, there's a big misconception that everybody has that if DeSantis had done something differently, mistakes were made, and he was not the strongest candidate. I think he could get better with time, but there were a lot of blunders with Ron DeSantis, and he lacks charisma, but all that is not the reason that he lost. I'll get to that in a moment, but first let me just say this to Nikki Haley. Please do not stoop to their level. Please do not stoop to the level of the Democrats. Now you have Nikki Haley. She is saying things that are just egregious. She's saying, she's playing the race card. And she's now saying that she was the victim of discrimination when she was younger because of her brown skin. She literally sounds like one of these Democrats who say, well, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of racism. That's why I have not been able to be so successful. Please don't go there. You're literally becoming one of them. Nikki Haley's parents are immigrants from India. And then Haley on Monday, yesterday, compared Trump to Biden. She said, oh, yeah, Trump and Biden, they're equally bad. I mean, that's disgraceful. I'm trying very hard not to lose all respect for Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley did great things for Israel when she was ambassador to the UN under Trump, but she's making it really hard to not lose respect for her. She has completely sold out to the left. She's completely sold out to the establishment and to the lobbyists. See, they see her, Nikki Haley, was 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 a a very valuable commodity to people on the left because they view Biden as unelectable. So they saw Nikki Haley as a way to basically sneak into the White House like a Democrat in sheep's clothing, you know, a Democrat in Republican clothing. And by the way, the the governor of South Carolina, the current governor, Nikki Haley is the former governor, the lieutenant governor of South Carolina, are both have both endorsed Trump. And they literally are from the home state of Nikki Haley. Senator Tim Scott, who dropped out of the race, of course, has now endorsed Trump. He's the senator of South Carolina. Nancy Mace, congresswoman from South Carolina, is endorsing Trump. But back to DeSantis. Okay, the questions they're asking, was he not charismatic enough? Was his campaign too disorganized? Did he have the wrong messaging, and they're trying to pick apart and analyze, well, where did DeSantis go wrong? Now, all those things may be true and probably are true, but where DeSantis really went wrong is one thing, okay? It comes down to one thing, as as often is the case. He is not Trump. DeSantis, the reason that he lost, the reason that he could not defeat Trump is that he's not Trump. The only reason Nikki, Nikki Haley, by the way, her numbers are not really better than, than, than Ron DeSantis. The only difference is DeSantis started higher, went down. Nikki Haley started at the bottom and went up. But they're pretty much the same. They're they're, they're 20 to 30 to 40 points behind Trump nationally. And the only reason that Haley... May even get close to New Hampshire. I don't think she will. She look, even if she wins New Hampshire, it's irrelevant because that's the last hurrah for. But, but, but the point is that the only reason she's gotten even close is because she spent so much money and has spent so many months living in New Hampshire. She invested everything in New Hampshire, hoping that that would kind of give her like be like a catalyst that would kind of give her some kind of momentum. Not going to happen, in my opinion. But th- 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 neither of them is Trump. Nikki Haley went left. Ron DeSantis went right. It's not a knock on DeSantis. Here's what I want to be clear about. People tell me that I'm pro-Trump, okay? They, and when I say that Ron DeSantis' problem is that he's no Trump, and maybe he will become that, that level candidate at some point. You could evolve. But that's not a knock. That's not me, like, bashing DeSantis, a personal attack. There's, people say, you're pro-Trump. There's two types of pro-Trump. There's pro-Trump that you're in the tank and that you just, whatever Trump does, Is wonderful, and you just love Trump, and it's emotional. And then there's you're pro Trump because you recognize his strength, you recognize how incredibly uh, talented a candidate he is, and the and the charisma and the leadership. And the messaging, and he's just like a natural. And the, y- y- you're objectively trying to say that Trump is a strong candidate, not because you're in the tank. I'll give you an example. I think that Obama, Barack Obama, it, it w- is a, was a very strong politician. Continues to this day to be one of the strongest politicians, most charismatic, most likable. You know, somebody who rallies people. I, I, you know, Barack Obama, when, you know, Obama versus McCain in 2008. I desperately wanted McCain to win, as you can imagine. I rooted for, for McCain. I agreed with many of McCain. McCain's policies, not all of them. But objectively speaking, I said, McCain doesn't have a shot. I said, Obama is so much stronger now. Oh, well, you're pro-Obama. No, I'm not pro-Obama. No, there is nobody on the planet who is less pro-Obama than I am. There's nobody on the planet who detests Obama more than I do. But Obama blew McCain out of the water as a candidate. Yes, he was a socialist. He did immense harm to the country. All of our worst nightmares uh, came to fruition under Obama. So DeSantis lost because Republican voters love Trump. They love Trump's charisma, messaging, his track record, his fearlessness. And, but, and let's say DeSantis had been able to copy all of that. It's still not authentic. It's still a copycat and still an imitation. And the imitation is never as good as the real thing. Now you tell me, well, but what about Trump's, all of Trump's negatives? Okay. I guess if DeSantis had all of Trump's positives, he does not. And none of Trump's negatives, then uh maybe he would have had a fighting chance. But there's this premise. What I don't like is the premise. How, where did DeSantis go wrong? How could DeSantis not have, what, what could he have done differently? How could he have unseated Trump? How could he have taken Trump off the throne? Like that's the problem with that is that premise is wrong because Trump is virtually Unbeatable at this point. Now, with that said, Desantis he did lack charisma. I was actually surprised. He, I I I've been a big fan of Desantis. I would I would love to have a Desantis as the president. He's done wonderful wonderful things in Florida. There's Desantis the governor and the leader, and then there's DeSantis, you know, the the politician. There's the policies and there's the politician. And those two things do not go hand in hand. So I was surprised because I never, I heard DeSantis speak a couple of times, but I never really paid a lot of attention until we got to the debates. And then I said, hey, you know what, let's focus on DeSantis and He does lack charisma. He gets into the weeds. He's got kind of this like nerdy, geeky way of approaching the issues as opposed to somebody, you know, whose messaging is much more powerful and deals with the fundamentals and doesn't get too into the weeds. And his messaging has been pretty negative. I heard somebody else make this point, Ed Rollins, who used to be actually uh, an advisor to the DeSantis campaign. He was slamming DeSantis, actually on CNN, saying that the messaging does, doesn't inspire. You know, make America great again. That's an inspiring message. That's a positive message. Whereas DeSantis, uh, his pack was called never back down. And never back down, that's more of like a negative. That's like you're kind of like a fighter as opposed to make America great again, which actually inspires people in a a positive way. And like I said, Haley, it's not like she performed much better. Haley, what she did is she tapped into the people who do not want Trump. By the way, the only reason New Hampshire is even close is because independents and even Democrats are allowed to vote in New Hampshire. Democrats, they had to have changed their affiliation and become non-affiliated a few months ago. But there are actually thousands of Democrats who are going to be voting in the New Hampshire primary. So uh, now, uh, like I said, DeSantis uh, dropped out of the race. He actually endorsed Trump, virtually everybody, every Republican is endorsing Trump. And part of the reason is because they know that Trump is going to win. But hopefully this does un- unite the party. And the only question is, how long does Haley hang on before she bows out of the race? Um, all right. So let me get to some of the callers here. A caller said to me, am I still predicting? A caller actually played me. There's a very sweet young man who left me this voicemail. And he played me a clip on on the phone Uh, He played me and, you know, they leave the voicemail on the hotline. So he played me a clip of myself a while back saying, I don't believe that Biden, I think it's 2021 saying, I don't believe that Biden is going to be the candidate in 2024. And he said, do you stand by that? Because Biden is still. The presumptive nominee of the Democrat Party, and the answer is: Look, I still stand by it. I do still stand by it. It's only January. I think they're planning an exit strategy. I really do not believe that Biden. I just don't think the Democrats' establishment is going to allow it because they're worried that Biden is unelectable. But uh, I, 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 I really, I realize I could be wrong. It's really hard for anybody to know. But if you ask me, do I stand by it now? I'm not phased by the fact that in January I didn't think it was going to happen. Now they're planning the right. The timing has to be right. They want to do it not too soon, but also not too late, and. Part, one of my biggest fears is Michelle Obama. Because we know that President Barack Obama is really the person pulling the strings running the party. And that means to me that Obama tells Joe Biden, because we know he sits with him and gives him advice, right? He says, listen, it's time for you to step down. Well, who do we put in place? Well, Obama may be the one calling that shot. And Obama himself might try to figure out, well, if Michelle runs now, is she most electable or is it better if she waits until 2028? But that might be Obama's call. So to me, it's either Michelle Obama or Gavin Newsom. I may be wrong. We may be sitting here in a few months and I say, hey, I got it wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. But the, the, the caller also said, can you give me a shout out? So I'm giving him a shout out. And I'll say something really interesting. Like I said, he's a young man. He leaves me a lot of voicemails, a lot of messages, very astute, very analytical, very sweet, very, very nice young man. And he you know, he wants a shout out. Here's your shout out. If, if, look, I'm, I'm not a big shout out person, but I'm happy to give you a shout out. But here's the, the cool part about the shout out is I think that this boy has the same last name as I do. <laughs> now, why do I think that? Well, because some of these voicemails, and don't worry, obviously, I never spread anything around, but some of these voicemails give us a caller ID. So when I get the voicemail, uh, I, I get it with a caller ID, and it says a caller ID of a name. Now, there's, as we know, caller IDs are not always accurate with the names, but it has a last name on it. And it, and the last name starts with an M. And the last name that's on the voice that's on the caller ID is the same last name as my last name. Now I don't know that this that's this boy's last name, but it might be. In which case, it's my last name, and it's actually spelled the same way. My last name there's several variations of the spelling. So it's a little bit of an unusual situation. So hey, that could be pretty cool. Uh, another caller said to me, made a great point. The Houthis, even though Biden redesignated the Houthis as a terror group which is way too late, and he did immense damage, and and Biden is complicit in in the conflict happening in the Red Sea because he delisted the Houthis as a terrorist group to appease Iran, but caller made a great point. Even when he restored the label, he only did it. He did it in a weak, pitiful way because he only restored the lower level. There are two levels. When they designate a terror group, there are two levels, and Biden only designated the 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 Houthi terrorist group who are, they're causing absolute mayhem and shooting at military personnel, and you cannot label them bad enough as a terrorist group, but Biden chose the weaker label. So the, the administration did not release relist the, relist the Houthis as a foreign terrorist organization, only as an SDGT, as a specially designated global terrorist entity. Okay, there are two levels when you designate a terrorist group. One is SDGT, specially designated global terrorist group. The other is foreign terrorist organization. Now, both trigger economic sanctions, both labels, but only an FTO, the foreign terrorist organization, which is not the one that Biden used for the Houthis. Only that imposes a travel ban on members of the group and authorizes sanctions on those who provide material support. So, uh, what, what Biden did, it, yeah, it imposes sanctions on the Houthis, but it does not impose a travel ban on Houthi, on Houthi rebels, which is absurd. Of course there should be a travel ban, and there are no sanctions on those who provide material support, which, which includes, obviously, Iran. Probably, it sounds like from reports, North Korea is, uh, provides material support. Russia provides material support to the Houthis. Houthis. So, that's still a disgrace on the part of President Biden. Another caller, alright, this is actually a listener who sent me an email, and you could send me an email, josh at com. josh at com. You can even send a text message to that email from most phones, most cell phones, and I'll, and I'll receive that in the form of an email. So listen to this caller. And this is very, very fundamental issue. The caller said, quote, I enjoy listening to the show. You seem very pro-Trump. I wanted to know how you would respond to the argument that Trump may be less pro-Israel because he clearly has very bitter feelings toward Netanyahu. Wouldn't we be better off with DeSantis or Haley who do not have this baggage? Additionally, I'll get to the second part in a second in in a moment. But uh, the first question he says is, what about the fact first thing he says is I enjoy listening to the show. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Keep on listening. Please spread the word. And I want, you know, I'd love to hear your feedback anytime, especially if it's good, but even if it's critical. But he says, I want to know what about the argument Trump may be less pro-Israel because he's very bitter toward Netanyahu. Would we not be bitter off with DeSantis or Haley? Now, he wrote this a couple of days ago, pre-dropout of DeSantis. But same question still applies. Why is Trump bitter toward Netanyahu? We know because Trump felt snubbed because Netanyahu congratulated Biden, even though as far as Trump was concerned, the election results had not yet been finalized. And uh, he felt that he was, you know, he was still in court, basically arguing that he was the winner. And Netanyahu called Biden and congratulated Biden on the victory in 2020. So we could debate whether Trump was right or wrong about feeling snubbed. You could understand Trump's feelings. You could certainly understand Netanyahu because he knew, most of us knew, that Biden was going to be the president, and, and that Trump's battles in the court. No matter how valiant, no matter how valid and how justifiable, you know, it it was a long shot. So you understand Netanyahu jumping on the bandwagon early and trying to get on the good side of the new president, President Biden. So you can hear both sides. But either way, the question is, does that mean that Trump is going to throw Israel under the bus? My response to that is, look, number one. It doesn't really matter, like I keep saying, because it's a one-person race. It's not a two-person race. But number two, this doesn't phase me. And if I turn out to be wrong, I'll tell you I was wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. Trump, his support of Israel is very, very deep. It's not just a personal thing that he has with Netanyahu. It's much deeper than that. Trump, you know, he, he moved the embassy. Clinton promised he would, never did. Bush promised he would. And Bush was very pro-Israel refused to move the embassy. Trump did things for Israel, recognized the sovereignty over Golan. Trump did so many things for Israel. It wasn't just about that he personally felt flattered by Netanyahu, although there was that element. By the way, number two, it would not be hard for Netanyahu to gain back those feelings. As as a caller mentioned a few days ago, we quoted it, you know, Trump is pretty easy as far as buttering him up, even when, right, he just retired the label, the nickname, the sanctimonious, because DeSantis endorsed Trump. So, uh, so, you know, to me, it's like, it wouldn't be that hard for Netanyahu to get back on Trump's good side. In that sense, I think Trump swings pretty (laughs) easily. And you call that his ego, whatever the reason is. But I really think that you go by his track record, you go by his incredible support for Israel. I mean, the Abraham Accord. I mean, Trump was so far head and shoulders better for Israel than any other president, all the other presidents combined including presidents who were officially supposed to be very pro-Israel. So uh, it, it, I, I think that Trump, it, it, it's its something that he feels is a mission. If it's not to mention, Netanyahu might not even be in power much longer. So no, that to me is not nearly as much a concern as all the other concerns. It certainly doesn't negate all the reasons, I think, to support Netanyahu. Now, the second part of the email was really uh, interesting and fundamental. Additionally, how would you justify voting for such an immoral and obnoxious person? Uh That was the question of the caller. And I think he's talking about... Trump, once again, because I'm pro-Trump. Now, again, I'll reiterate what I said earlier. There's pro-Trump and there's pro-Trump. Just because I see all of Trump's positives, just because I see his strength and I think that he has a really good track record and I think that he could be a really good president, does isn't the same as pro Trump emotionally that I, you know I'm rooting for him I'm am on his team I I don't think I'd want him as my next door neighbor I don't think I'd want my children to be exposed to him on a personal level so I, we got to differentiate here and distinguish and and the caller you know the listener understands that but I, you know I want to be clear pro Trump you know just because you, you you discuss and you analyze the positives now maybe. Your 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 perspective is a little bit skewed. Maybe we kind of feel certain emotions. We root for people. We become like the, it's a, it's like part of the team. And I understand there's a blurry kind of a gray area where. We like somebody. It's not just because we objectively view them in in terms of their strength as a candidate and their policies. But sometimes we just like them on a personal level. We connect with them. So there's something emotional. It's like a sporting team. So I do understand that. There's a fine line. But I want to be very clear. I objectively believe that Trump is a very good candidate. And just like I, I objectively believe that Obama is, but the difference is that Obama's policies are Horrific. And, and Trump's policies, 99.9 percent of the time, uh, Trump's policies are exactly in line with with my values. And I believe our values, the, you know, the audience who listens to this show. But let me respond to the question. And I don't want to talk about Trump being an immoral a and obnoxious person. I want to just let's talk, look, talk about it in a bubble. Okay, take an immoral and obnoxious uh, candidate. Okay, so the answer is very simple. And we got to get into Hashkaffer here for a minute. But I don't think it's, I think it's a very, very uh, straightforward Hashguffa that everybody agrees to. I don't think this is like something that's like radical or controversial in any way. I think this is something which is pretty basic, which is if you have a candidate and the candidate is immoral, the candidate, his personal qualities and his personal character and demeanor are bad, okay? He's obnoxious. He's immoral. Whatever other personal issues you have with him, but he's a very good candidate for your agenda. He's somebody who will help your, let's say, the Jewish community, the Frum community. So we have a candidate who will advance our values, who's pro-life, who, who you know, who will help uh, advance our values with Israel, pro-Jewish, all sorts of things. Uh, w- w- do you choose that candidate, even though personally speaking, he's a degenerate or he's somebody who's immoral on a personal level? As opposed to, I I guess the as opposed to, you know, it, it, it really depends who's the other option. But let's just focus on that for a moment. It's a mistake to look at a candidate when you talk about who, which candidate to support, and you start looking at their personal values. I'm not talking about their. Policies. I'm not talking about what they're going to do as as a politician, as a leader, but with their personal values, their personal morality, and, and their personal you know their medias. You look at that and you say, "Well, look at this person. I don't I, I, I don't I don't want to. How can you support such a person? This person is such a low life." And that's a wrong attitude. That's a very non-Jewish perspective. The idea that we're voting for a leader, we're voting for somebody who we respect, that is not what it's about. And this is the long-standing tradition of Jews, the Jewish community, for thousands of years. We support people even though we have a distaste and we dislike them and they're immoral— and, and their low life, we vote for them because of what they're going to do for us. And really, Hazal discussed this, but that, that's what it's about. You have to totally separate the personal from what they're going to do as a politician. That's very, very crucial. So, you, you know, you get like, I think this person actually got influenced by the the secular, the secular world. They look at character and what kind of leader is the person going to be and what are his morals like and what kind of tweets and all of that. And that's a very secular mindset. From our mindset, it's very important. You look at what this candidate stands for in terms of what he's going to, uh, you, know, you know, what he's going to implement, how he's going to execute, what 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 his policies are. But you totally ignore the personal. And, and like I said, I think that actually comes from a non-Jewish. I think that's very clearly. The Jewish hashkafa, the Yiddish hashkafa, on this is what's this candidate going to do? So that's very, very important. And 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 so you, yeah, you're totally separate. I have no problem supporting. Have you say to me, listen, you have two candidates who have exactly the same policies, exactly the same values. They're both equally electable, which is not the case here with Trump, because he's the only one who's electable on the Republican side. But, but you have. And, and, you know, at this point, but you have uh, two candidates equal, then do you take that into account? I don't know. Maybe. But that's that's very rarely the situation. So I'll give an example. Let's say you have a very leftist candidate who's pro-choice, you know, pro-abortion. And who doesn't stand for Jewish values and is anti-Israel, but they have really good medias. They have really good qualities. They're not obnoxious. They don't have any nasty tweets. Would you support them over somebody who's going to help advance our cause and our values? Of course not. Of course you go with the person who's going to. So that just, you know, that's an extreme example, but that just shows you it's not about their personal character. It's very, very clear. Now, and and there's another point I would just make, which is that there's a misconception over here. Some people, they look at me, does, and I'm not defending Trump. And I understand people's issues with Trump on a a personal level. He's a very immoral person. I get it. But I wish he wasn't, but he is. And it is what it is. (laughs) It's indefensible. But again, doesn't stand in the way of supporting him because of everything he's done and going to presumably do for us. But, you know, some people look at, you know, look at Joe Biden. Oh, well, he's got good meat. He's got good characteristics, right? Because he's nice and he's respectful and no nasty tweets and he smiles and he's, Warm and fuzzy or whatever, you know, sometimes people look at a superficial thing. They look at etiquette and the person's manners. And, yeah, sometimes somebody comes across as being more warm and fuzzy and smiley and more positive And they don't say negative. They don't they're not critical and they don't make, you know, these nasty nicknames. And you think that person has better midas. That person might be corrupt. That person might be a liar. Joe Biden is a plagiarist for years. He's, he's incredibly corrupt. He, you know, his, his bad midas are actually much worse for the country because they interfere with his ability to lead. And it actually destroys the fabric of the country because he sold out to China and Russia and, and other countries, Hunter Biden, and you know, all of that. So sometimes we tend to look at midas on a very superficial level. Oh, this person is very nice and respectful and sweet and doesn't say anything negative. Oh, he must have good midas. And it turns out the person really has very bad midas. But it's on a much deeper level, something that you wouldn't be able to see, and they're fake, and they hide it, and they pretend to have good midas. So that's not always the case. But most of these politicians, let's be honest, most of these politicians are very, very immoral. I mean, the more you hear about these politicians, they're very immoral. So if morality is going to be our guide, which there's no reason it should be. We're not we're not electing them to be a rub or to be a Leader of the community. We're electing them to do what we need them to do. That's my answer. Uh, a caller asked me why does it matter if the black box recording from the Air Alaska flight where the door flew off, why does it matter if that was erased? Because the caller said as follows. The caller was a little bit confused um, because the black box is really crucial if if there's a plane crash where a plane goes down and there are no survivors or the pilots don't survive. So then you need the black box because you need to know what happened. You need to know what the pilots said because in the, the communication and all of that inside the cockpit because they're not around to tell us. But here, since, uh, Baruch Hashem, everybody survives and the pilots can actually recount their version. So what's the big deal? Cause I've been making a big deal out of this, you know, as like a conspiracy theory. Like, how did this black box just happen to just, uh, I, I think the black box is around, but the recording either was deleted or it didn't record that far or, but the recording vanished. The recording's not there. Because the question, what does it matter? Just speak to the doc, the pilots. And the answer to me is very simple. It's that the pilots are going to be pressured to cover this up. OK, the only way to get a really honest viewpoint of what uh, of what the causes of this door flying off is the pilots at that moment, because at that moment, they're not thinking, oh, I better cover this up. What are people going to think at that moment? They're just panicking and they're just being totally t- if there's ever a moment of honesty, it's the two pilots in the cockpit when the door just flew off the plane and they're trying to make sure that they can land this plane safely. So they're not thinking about, oh, well, I better say the right things for the cockpit recorder. So, and my point is this, right? Let's say Boeing is culpable, which you would think that they must be. Or let's say Air Alaska, let's say, you know, the the crew is culpable because they didn't do the right pre-flight prep or whatever. Right. Let, let's say any of those reasons. Right. We have to figure out what's the underlying reason. Well, right now the pilots are down. Right now the pilots are going to be pressured by whoever it was, Boeing, Air Alaska, whoever's at fault here, whoever's culpable. They're all culpable. And 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 diversity hiring at the FAA is culpable, I'm sure. But but um, the question's going to be, well, these pilots now they're under immense pressure to cover everything up. So you think you're going to be able to get an honest account from the pilots? You are not. And and the pilots themselves are going to justify, well, it's better for the public if we don't reveal the whole truth. We have to keep safety the number one priority. We don't want people to be panicking. They'll come up with every reason in the book to justify lying about this and covering it up. So my problem is, you cannot trust the pilots now because the pilots are going to cover it up. These are their employers. They're under enormous pressure. And I just don't believe it. You know, they they call it, they have incredible neguias. Okay, they have incredible biases to not tell the truth versus in the cockpit. You're going to get a much more honest, doesn't mean it's a guarantee that you'll be able to pick something up. But that's a much more candid and honest perspective of what went on. So we lost that. And now the pilots are being controlled by Boeing and the airline and in the cockpit, they were not. So to me, it's a no brainer that, you know, again, it doesn't mean that this thing was erased intentionally, but I, I certainly think they benefit a lot. Uh, all right, the Supreme Court has ruled Texas must allow the Biden administration to cut down razor wire. This razor wire was put up uh, at the border, okay, right near the border, at the at the Rio Grande River, to prevent illegals from crossing into the state of Texas. And now Biden's Customs Border Patrol, Biden CBP, are actually cutting down this razor wire. This razor wire is preventing illegals from swimming across the Rio Grande into te- into Texas, into the United States. And it's a disgrace that the Biden administration is cutting this razor wire. And they're not they're cutting the razor wire. Because they admit this. They admit that they're cutting the razor wire so that they can allow illegals to uh, to uh be processed more quickly and to be processed into the country without having to go to an actual border opening, okay, without to a port of entry. They're able to go through the Rio Grande. How disgraceful is it? They're admitting. They came to the Supreme Court and said, we want to cut this razor wire because we want to be able to process illegals more quickly. So in a five to four decision— Okay, five to four, there's six conservatives, if you, if you count Roberts on the court. So five to four, Amy Coney Barrett and Chief Justice Roberts sided with the liberals on this. Okay, the, the, the Biden administration, like I said, they want to process illegals into the, into the, uh, Country And Texas was not allowing them to. Texas was preventing them from cutting down this razor wire, this barbed wire. Now, let me be clear. The Supreme Court this is not a final decision. It's still going through the, the the lower courts. There's an appeals court that's ruling on this. But there was an injunction and the injunction prevented Biden's people from cutting through the razor wire. And now the Supreme Court lifted that injunction. So that allows while this goes to the lower courts, CBP is allowed to cut the razor wire for any reason. and the, and it, And it's not them exceeding their authority. So here's what you have to realize is and there are no reasons given. This is not a long ruling with reasons given. This is just a ruling. They only issued the ruling. They didn't explain the reasoning because, again, this is just a, a, a very this is just allowing it to go through the lower level courts. This is not a final ruling by the Supreme Court. Now, the state of Texas agrees that the razor wire can be cut if there's an emergency. So and and what they're saying is it's partially an American territory because the middle of the Rio Grande, half the Rio Grande is to Mexico, half the Rio Grande belongs to the U.S. This this razor wire is on land next to the Rio Grande. So technically speaking, on the other side is American territory, but it's the river. Okay, so Texas agrees if there's an emergency, if there are migrants drowning in the Rio Grande, you can cut through this razor wire. But they're cutting it without an emergency. They're cutting it for no other reason. They're cutting it to allow illegals to cross the border. They basically admitted it. They said we need to process illegals. We can't do it because the razor wire. So the lower court said, no, you're not allowed. Texas has every right to secure the board. I'm going to read you some of the lower court's ruling over here. Pretty astonishing ruling. But the Supreme Court overturned that thanks to Coney Barrett. And I'm di- and I'm disappointed in Amy Coney Barrett. What can I say? And the four other conservatives got this one right. So, well, let me read you here. A, 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 a court of appeals for the Fifth Circuit issued an injunction in favor of Texas on December 19th. Now, here's what the court said, quote, the number of Border Patrol encounters with migrants illegally has swelled from a comparatively paltry 458,000 in 2020 to 1.7 million in 2021 and 2.4 million in 2022. Unsurprisingly, the situation has been exploited by drug cartels who have made an incredibly lucrative enterprise out of trafficking human beings and illegal drugs like fentanyl, which is frequently encountered in vast quantities at the border. So the the, the decision continued, quote, the C-wire, that's what this stuff is called, concertina wire. Serves as a deterrent and an effective one, causing illegal crossings to drop precipit- precipitously. But there's one problem area. September 2023, Texas installed over 29 miles of seawall by se- se- September uh, 2023. Both the Border Patrol and Texas agreed the sea wire must be cut in the event of an emergency, such as the threat of a drowning. Or, or a migrant suffering heat exhaustion. The problem arises when Border Patrol agents cut the wire without prior notification to Texas for reasons other than emergencies. So that's their argument. They say we want to process illegals. Alright, I gotta tell you about this. Maybe we should have done this earlier in the show, but a new ceasefire agreement proposal, a new ceasefire proposal. Israel has had, has made their own proposal. According to reports, they, they are willing to have a two-month ceasefire, which is a very long time if Hamas would be really willing to release all of the hostages. Now, this is a very, very, you know, kind of dramatic um, announcement, dramatic, excuse me, dramatic proposal. So who knows if, you know, Hamas would accept it. Obviously, that would be incredible news. But then there's a new proposal, and this is disgraceful, by the U.S. and Qatar. Uh, oh, I'm totally, totally on a side note here. Just interrupted myself for a second. Callers pointed out, he said that Trump, you know, Vivek uh, dropped out of the race, of course. And Vivek, uh, through his support to Trump, they're all endorsing Trump. And uh and, and by the way, I don't think getting to the VP discussion. Everybody asks me who I think the nominee is going to be. There's somebody who thinks that a listener thinks that uh, DeSantis is going to be the nominee. I, look, I wouldn't be shocked, but I don't think DeSantis is going to be the nominee. A lot of people think Vivek's going to be the nominee again. I would not be shocked, but I don't believe. If you ask me to predict, n- almost no ca- no person would shock me other than Nikki Haley. But, uh, I don't think that, uh, that Vivek's gonna be the nominee. I think just Trump's gonna pick somebody super loyal to him, who's never said anything negative about him, and I think he's gonna pick somebody a little bit more low-key, and, and we'll see. Uh, you know, nobody really knows. But I'm predicting it's either Lee Zeldin, or Lee Stefanik, or Kevin McCarthy, and they, those three have been super loyal to Trump. From day one, throughout January 6th, um, that's my personal prediction. But the only one I'm saying guaranteed no is Nikki Haley. Nobody else would shock me. But a caller pointed out, Trump says Vivek, not Vivek. So I'm not the only one. I'm in good company. All right, so th- the, this new ceasefire proposal by the U.S., Egypt, and Qatar would essentially force Israel to surrender and lose the war. This is according to the Wall Street Journal that those three, U.S., Qatar, Egypt, have proposed a deal in which Hamas would free the remaining Israeli hostages in exchange for Israel withdrawing from Gaza completely, ending the war, and not destroying Hamas. And their reports are that, that that they've destroyed about 30% of Hamas to this point. And it's been many months, so that just tells you how much more time is needed. The proposal would be a three-stage process, as described by the Wall Street Journal. It, it would basically mean Israel leaves Gaza and does not destroy Hamas. The 90-day plan would first pause fighting for an unspecified number of days so Hamas could release all the Israeli civilian hostages. Then in return, Israel would release hundreds of Palestinian prisoners, including militants. Israel would withdraw from Gaza's towns and cities, allow freedom of movement in Gaza, and drone surveillance, and double the amount of aid, which is just insane, because it just means you're literally giving them fuel, supplies, and money, to totally regroup in the second phase, Hamas would f- free female Israeli soldiers, turn over bodies, Rahman Rachmanolitzon, while Israel would release more Palestinian prisoners. The third phase would involve the release of Israeli soldiers and fighting-age Hamas soldiers, and Israel would redeploy some of its forces outside the borders of Gaza. So this would be a disaster. Israel is not going to agree to this, but that's what Biden is pressuring Israel to do. Just so you know. Elon Musk visited Auschwitz. This is an incredibly big deal. We should really recognize how close a friend Elon Musk is to to to, to Jews, to Yiddin and to from Jews. Specifically, he toured Auschwitz, the Auschwitz camps with Ben Shapiro and with the European Jewish Association. Then Elon Musk attended a conference on anti-Semitism. He appeared on stage along with Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro basically interviewed uh, Elon Musk about anti-Semitism and other things for 45 minutes. They slammed the radical left, as you would expect. And remember, Elon Musk visited Israel in November. How could anybody think that Elon Musk has a single anti-Semitic bone in his body? He is incredibly pro-Jewish. He actually said that he went to—he mentioned this before, he mentioned this to Ben Shapiro, that he he attended a Jewish school when he was a very young child. He actually attended a Jewish school in South Africa— Um, he, he, he just does not like leftist Jewish groups like the ADL who advance anti-Semitism who target him because he is pro free speech, but he is clearly, clearly very pro Jewish, a close friend of the Jewish people, very powerful and influential and runs Twitter. So he's somebody we need to stay on his good side. Now he did say something scary, but I don't mean the scary in a negative way. He's just being honest. But it shows you it should be a wake up call for us. He said that he defended Twitter. The fact is that Twitter, there's a lot of anti-Semitism on Twitter, as there are on all these social media platforms. And it even increased because Elon Musk doesn't censor the way the previous leadership at Twitter censored. And I know it's called X now, but I call it Twitter. So that, you know, uh, there's been a rampant anti-Semitism on Twitter. Now, Elon Musk said, yeah, he said, but you have to understand, he said, we try to weed it out. But we try not to, you know, suppress free speech. It's a very difficult challenge. But he said, we have the least anti-Semitism of all the platforms. He said TikTok has five times as much anti-Semitism as Twitter, which is probably true. I'm sure it's true. But so he said, we have the least. That was his defense. And he said he is still trying to crack down. But my point is, it's such a sad situation we're in. And 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 Musk is correct about this. But Twitter, you know, Twitter is the best platform when it comes to anti-Semitism. Why? Because of all the anti-Semites, we have the least anti-Semitism. We have the lowest like there's tons of anti-Semitism on Twitter, but it's less than Facebook, way less than Twitter than TikTok, way less than Facebook. So that tells you everything you need to know about anti-Semitism, right now. Where we're where where things stand is that uh, look look at us, uh, we're the best when it comes to anti-Semitism. Well, how much do you have? A ton. Oh, but it's the least. The others have even more, and it's even more rampant. And and he's right. He's actually right about that. But that's very very scary. All right, much more to get to, but unfortunately we are out of time. I predict Trump crushes Haley in New Hampshire. The question is, how long can Haley hang on? That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.